Good morning. Welcome to the Australian Early Finance Briefing for Wednesday the 28th of October. My name's Nick, here in Melbourne, which has just left lockdown. Now, starting with the Reserve Bank policy on their bond buying. Now, Grant Wilson has written an interesting article for the AFR talking about what, what's the RBA going to do with buying bonds of individual states and territories. It's been widely expected that they will get more involved in that and they have been buying them already. But the RBA has been pushing the states to step up with fiscal stimulus, spend more. So it's almost expected that or implicit that the RBA will get involved in buying more state bonds. So how how will they allocate the money? You know, the the constitution, as Grant Wilson cites, section 99, says that the, the Commonwealth cannot favour any, any particular state or territory for trade, commerce, revenue. So what are they going to do when you've got all these different credit ratings from all the different states, different volumes of bonds on issue? What are they going to do? Are they going to try and keep yields consistent amongst all the states or is they, are they going to sort of in, determine a, a sort of credit spread for the lower rated states. Victoria is still just on a AAA rating, but no doubt it will be probably flooding the market with bond issuance going forward as it tries to stimulate out of the deep recession here. What, what will the RBA do there? It's an interesting question. It's certainly something that we haven't really seen answered. Some of the stuff Grant mentions is that the, the RBA typically will be guided by the amount of bonds on issue along with the size, dare I say economic size of the particular state or territory. He does highlight an inconsistency though, mentioning Western Australia, where Western Australian state bonds consist of 20% of the RBA's state bond holdings, yet the, uh, the WA portion of the market's only 13% of, of the semi-market. So inconsistent there, it'd be interesting to know what the what the rationale is and how they're going to apply those sorts of decision-making processes going forward. And moving to Japan now, Mike Cannon-Brooks, the founder of Atlassian, has been active on social media highlighting the fact that Japan's announced the, a net zero carbon emissions target for 2050. But what's most disturbing is the situation Japan's in and how almost in the current scheme of things how unlikely it is that Japan could possibly get to that sort of level. They've only recently announced the construction of yet more coal-fueled power stations. They've shut down their a lot of their nuclear markets so they've after Fukushima they only restarted nine of their 33 operable nuclear reactors. They have closed 100 inefficient coal-fired power plants, but a lot of them are being replaced by new, more efficient ones. So the way things are now, Japan is still starting to target coal to provide about 25% of the power needs by 2030, so still a huge amount. If, if that's the case, they just will, will very much struggle to meet this zero net by 2050. Some people have called for some of these other nuclear reactors to be brought online or for them to take up you know, other cheaper renewable energy sources. So Bloomberg mentions that to fall in line with the Paris Agreement for Japan, their use of coal would need to fall to just 4% of the energy mix by 2030, not 
current plan 25%, and that would mean coal power capacity would need to drop from the 51 gigawatts last year down to 17 by 2040. So Mike Cannon-Brooks highlights the fact that our biggest coal customer, they buy one third of our coal, will probably have to, if they're you know, meaning what they're saying, will have to cut back hugely on coal and that will mean largely the end of our coal export industry. And moving to asset-backed securities here in Australia, and the AFR is reporting that a company called Bright, which is a company that, which offers buy now, pay later financing for households, solar panels, batteries, renewable energy infrastructure, has issued a $190 million ABS into the market, of which they've been able to get their top tranche with a credit rating by moves of AA, and that's meant they've priced really well a, a, a yield or you know coupon of 1.95% over the one month swap rate. So really, really good there. And that top tranche equates to 86% of the issuance, so a big amount as well. So this is a big improvement for that business. Prior to this, their cost of funding was about 10%. So really transformative for them. Really great news. Moody's does mention that some of the strengths for the business is that the transaction is full of exposure to homeowner products such as solar panels and a high level of portfolio yield. But they mentioned the key credit sort of risk challenge for them is the limited amount of historical loss data available for the business, considering the business is still quite new. The company itself, the issue has mentioned that they're keen to offer a triple A rated tranche at a future issuance that will encourage some of the super funds and other banks to, to buy in and support the business. So it's really transformative for, for Bright and they're a business that has, according to the AFR, 500 million in finance for 60,000 households. And they've accredited more than 1,700 solar installers and their customers have generated more than 500 gigawatt hours of clean energy. And moving to the markets now, just before the US Open, Nasdaq's meant to open up a bit on the back of news that AMD is putting a bid for Xilinx, the chip maker. Here in Australia, we've got the CPI reading coming out today for Q3, so the quarter ending 30th of September. As you may remember, the Q2 was this negative reading, sharply negative, 1.9% negative. Now, this Q3 is forecast to be about positive 1.5, which is huge. You know, normally, the quarterly ratings is only you know, about 0.2, 0.3, etc. So interesting figure there to look out for today. That's your update for Wednesday. Thank you. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. The podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. The values of investments can go up or down, so you may get back less than you initially invest.